Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves, and then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Honored and blessed to be joined by this following guest. He is a convert to our faith, converted to Catholicism well, and the Baptist Seminary. He is a popular blogger with columns in Pathios, Catholic Stand, and also writes for Epic Pew. He's also a fellow podcaster. His podcast is called Know the Faith, Defend the Faith, the purpose to show Catholics how to evangelize and defend their faith. Most important of all, he is a family man, and he is a husband and father of four makes his home in lovely Tucson, Arizona, and he is our brother in Christ. Welcome, William Hemsworth, and welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast, William. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a great privilege for me to be here. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks so much, William. And, you know, I'm not a betting man, William, but I'm guessing uh, on this February day of recording, there are a few more people on the golf course in Arizona than there are in Alberta. I'm thinking, I think I was just looking outside here right now, and I think it's about minus 20. And uh, I think in Fahrenheit, that's probably got to be well, at least around that number. So I'm sure that probably gives you, a, probably even just saying minus 22, William, probably makes you looking for go looking for a sweater in the attic or something. <laughs> it sure does. Yesterday, it was 70 degrees here. Wow, and, 70. So that's probably about plus 20 here in Celsius, right? So, yeah. Right. So we have people, I, I live where I live right next, the subdivision over is a retirement community. And we call them the snowbirds. They come down from uh, Canada, Minnesota, North Dakota for the winter, and then they go back up in April. And you know it's all good. No, I'm, I'm I love Tucson. I grew up I grew up in California though, so I much prefer Arizona though. <laughs> yeah, is that right? What, what do you like about Arizona? I mean, at least California, everybody, you know, up in Alberta and in Western Canada, we know California is uh, you know the Pacific Coast, uh, oceans, beaches. But what what is it about Arizona that you like more, William? No, don't be wrong. California is beautiful. And I do miss the beaches. Um, my kids asked me the other day, when can we go to the beach? I'm like, I don't know. It's six hours away. That's the closest one there is. But uh, Arizona is just, uh, it's a little bit more peaceful. It's a little bit, it's a, it's a little bit slower paced than California is. California, as you can imagine, I grew up in the Los Angeles area. So it's rush, 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 you know, fast pace here. It's a little more laid back. You just kind of take your time and, really the weather you really can't beat it we pay for it a little bit in the summer but during the winter and spring it's 70s 80s you really can't beat it sunrises and sunsets are out of this world i mean you could see god's artistry in the sunsets every night here it's just great and pretty much everything's here if if you like right now if i wanted to go to the snow i can drive an hour to the mountains and go play in the snow if i wanted to but i can come back down to the warm at night you know so it's all good it's kind of the best of both worlds for us that's oh, awesome. If you recall the old country music song by George Strait, Oceanfront Property in Arizona, I think is what it was called. So maybe right. that could be uh, an adventure for your kids to go find that oceanfront property. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Thanks, William, for joining us. And uh, yeah, as a, as a Canadian that's uh, uh, basically lived here for every winter the last 40 years, I always like chatting with people from the southern U.S. and you can uh, make me start dreaming about warmer places. But uh, 
But we're here to talk about uh, the real important things in life, and that is the, uh, our walk with the Lord and our Catholic faith. And you grew up in a Protestant household, but uh, the roots of your faith, it must have been implanted in you as, as a youth. I mean, you're, you're doing some great stuff, great work right now as a, as a podcaster and a blogger, and uh, even have uh, your videos up on YouTube. So, uh, but the roots of, of your faith were, uh, must have been instilled on you when you were very young. And maybe talk to us a little bit about your, your initial influences and in beginning your journey of faith. Well, sure. My, my mom started taking my sister and I to church when I was 12. So we didn't really go before that. I do remember going to um, a Christian preschool. I remember that. But between then and there, there, were, there was, we didn't really go, we didn't go to church. So when I was 12, my mom said, I want to, she told my dad, I'm going to start taking the kids to church. And my dad was like, okay, that's great. I'm going to stay home, watch football. <laughs> so my mom took us to the church down the street and it was called Sunset Wesleyan Church. And for your listeners who don't know the Wesleyan denomination branched off from um, the Methodist movement in the 1800s. So that's kind of the background on that. So we started going to church at, um, when I was 12, my sister was about nine and it was, it was kind of old school. And I say old school, not in a derogatory sense, but when you're 12 years old and you're hearing these old hymns with only a piano, sometimes it resonates with you. Sometimes it doesn't resonate with you. For me, some of the songs were kind of mixed. I was like, oh my God, some songs are like, oh, this is, I like this tune. Other ones I'm like, oh, this is boring. When can I get out of here? You know, I was 12. But anyway, it grew on me. It grew on me. When I was 13, I made the decision to get baptized. Uh, I made the profession of faith when I was 13. Um, got baptized, and during my teenage years, I was I was pretty active in the church. I became youth group president. I was involved in campus life in high school. Uh, we went to various um, conventions around the country. We went to like Cincinnati, Colorado Springs, always in the winter. I did experience some very cold weather in Cincinnati. It was minus forty one time, <laughs> but that that's that was my experience. So we went, went to church camp in the in the summers and. We were very, it was, it was even the praise band, which I'm a horrible singer. So I was kind of there to do the overhead slides. If anyone remembers those things. Okay. I had to replace those overheads. But when I was 17, I made the decision to join the army and I, I was blessed enough to score high enough where I could choose the job that I wanted. And even when I was in, even as a teenager, I felt a call to do something in ministry. So I chose to become a chaplain assistant in the army. So I signed my enlistment contract and had to wait 364 days until I graduated high school. I was on the delayed entry program. So I graduated high school. I went off to the army and got trained as a chaplain assistant. And for your listeners who don't know, as a chaplain assistant in the United States Army, anyway, I'm not sure how it is up in Canada, you have to be, you have to help the soldiers with whatever their faith is to make sure their needs are fulfilled, whether they're it's Judaism, Islam, Catholic, various Protestant dominations, whatever. But I got stationed in Georgia. And that was my first duty station. I remember the first Sunday, I had to work at the chapel. So the first service of the day was an Episcopal service. And then it was a mass. And then after that was the Protestant service. And so I'm on the mezzanine level because that's where the sound system was. And I said, okay. I'm going to stay here and see what this mass is about. Cause you know, I had, I had those pre, I had those old Protestant preconceptions, right? Like Catholics don't read the Bible. Um, 
for some reason I had it in my mind that priests don't preach. They just kind of sit there <laughs> and read and read a, and read a book. Of course, we know that as the, you know, the missile, but I didn't know that back then. Um, so the mass starts and I hear the reading from the old Testament. Then I hear the Psalm. Then I hear a reading from Romans. Then I hear a reading from the gospel of Mark. And I remember sitting there I'm like, wow, that's a lot of scripture. Now, keep in mind, I was used to hearing maybe two or three verses and then like a 30 or 40 minute sermon on those verses. That's how it was. That's what I was used to growing up. So I hear all this scripture. So I'm like, let's see. And I'm looking at my clock, my watch. I'm like, let's see how long this priest preaches if he preaches at all. Well, he goes up there and he gives this 45 minute homily on the gospel of Mark. And it was a very good homily. Like it reminded me of something I would have heard Billy Graham do. do. Like it was engaging people were laughing. It was just, it, it was, and it was really, it, it was, it was really good. It was, he, he called on decisions to change your life. I mean, all that stuff was in there, but you know, of course being 19 years old, I was like, well, that's great. So Catholics do read the Bible and, but I'm gonna put it on the shelf because you know, at 19, you're interested in other things, right? <laughs> Especially when you're away from home for the first time. And so I keep, I go, um, another few years I got, I get stationed in Arizona. So that's how I got to Arizona. I was in the army and in 2003, I'm working at the chapel on a Halloween night. And this lady and her friend come up to me. It's like, you need to come meet my daughter. I'm like, no, I'm doing this paperwork. They come back an hour later. You really need to come meet my daughter. I'm like, no, I really have to get this paperwork done. They come back a half hour later. You really need to come meet my daughter. I'm like, all right, fine. I'm seeing this not, this is not going to end unless I go meet her daughter. Well, the daughter ended up being my wife later on. <laughs> so thanks be to God. Nice. And that was, so that was so, your, your mother-in-law or that, uh, that introduced you. That was my, that was my, that was my mother-in-law and her best friend. Yeah, well, yes. and that's a, that's a great story. You and I have a, a kinship uh, with that as well. <laughs> my, uh, I actually met my father-in-law and mother-in-law before I met my wife. So, uh, so that's interesting. And I, and I met them in a good place to met them at church because uh, my wife's uncle, this is my father-in-law's brother is a Catholic priest. So that's a, a little bit. Oh, of a, yeah. So that's interesting. That's probably, a, that's probably the best way to meet your spouse. Hey, eh? with the parents, you have the in yeah, already, exactly. you know, <laughs> that's half the battle right there. <laughs> right. I didn't have to overcome that. Oh, obstacle. Exactly. It was already exactly. done. I didn't have to buy too many roses for the mother-in-law. Right. That's good. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And if just a funny story, and I've never told this on a podcast, my, my wife, my wife will appreciate it. My mother-in-law that, well, who would become my mother-in-law invited her, invited me to her house that same night, uh, just for some refreshments, cake, whatever. And she asked me to plug in her Playboy. And I was like, what, excuse me? She had a ga Nintendo GameCube. That's what she was talking about. So she was thinking Game Boy and all that. So a little funny story that we still have fun with That's today. That's outstanding. So good. Yeah. <laughs> I got your attention. I'm but, sure if nothing else. Right. So. It, it it did, and my wife tells the story now. She's like, I was so mortified when my mom said that. I can't believe it. <laughs> but I proposed, I proposed to her about a year later, and she's like, you know, I'd really like to get married in the Catholic Church. And so without thinking, I'm like, okay, great. Um, I'll become Catholic, then we'll get married in the Catholic Church. Now, I had been married before, okay, unfortunately. So I had to go through the whole annulment thing. And we didn't... And honestly, my wife and I didn't know that church is teaching on marriage like we do now. So now we're involved in marriage prep and everything, but we didn't, we didn't know then we were uh, 24 years old. Um, 
we knew marriage was important, but we, we didn't know exactly the whole annulment thing and all that stuff. So we got through that, going through RCIA. Now I tell people this because I went through RCIA, not because it's something I felt I wanted to do. I was trying to make someone else happy. That's not a good reason to go through it. It's going to lead, it, it has the strong potential to lead to some issues later on. And that's what it did to me with me. Not that the process wasn't good. Not that I didn't learn anything. But I wasn't doing it because I believed that the Catholic Church was true. Like, I still had some issues with the Eucharist. Like, I thought it was a symbolic thing, even though I said I may have professed that it wasn't. So, like St. Paul says, I was reaping condemnation on myself, you know, by partaking. Um, I, had, I had some issues with Mary. And so, eventually, these problems, these issues would manifest later on. So, at some, at, there, come, there came a point later on where even though I was going to mass with my wife for all intents and purposes, I was not in the church because I didn't believe those things. And so I started kind of doing things outside. Um, like once I finished my, my business degree, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go to, um, I want to go to seminary. I want to learn more about Christianity. That's kind of how I rationalized it to my wife. Okay. I'll learn more about Christianity, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to study church history because I've always loved history. So I'm going to study church history and I'm going to see, I'm going to prove that, you know, these church fathers that everyone talks about aren't Catholic. <laughs> okay. So first class. Oh man. First class. It was such a, it was such a game changer for me. We started reading Justin Martyr. That's what we started off with. And Justin Martyr in his first apology, he gives a description of the mass. He says, you know, we, we read from the prophets. We read from the, we read from, the gospels and then bread and wine are brought to the presider. He prays over them. And only those who can partake have to be baptized because we don't believe it's ordinary bread and wine, but it's the body and blood of Christ. And I'm paraphrasing it. And so I'm thinking in my mind, like, wow, where's this church at? Wasn't paying attention to what I was already doing with my wife. I'm like, where's this church at? So a couple months later, we're reading from Irenaeus and Irenaeus had this great book called against heresies. And if you, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend that you read it because everything he talks about in that book is so applicable today. It's not even funny, but in that book, he talks about not only the Eucharist, but he talks about the rule of faith. So he's writing to the Gnostics and he's calling them tasks because they think that to be, to be saved, you have to have this secret knowledge but this knowledge can't be traced anywhere. And so Irenaeus is like, hey, if you, want, if, if you say you're the true church, you can trace your lineage back to the apostles. And you can trace your lineage to the bishop of Rome. And so I read this, I was like, whoa. My friend who's a Baptist pastor, he can't do that. He was ordained by his pastor in uh, Missouri. And he's over here now saying he could ordain other people. So I'm like, where is this church? And it was maybe a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting with my wife in mass and I had one of those Holy Spirit hitting me with a frying pan moments. It was like, bing, like you're already here. <laughs> and it hit me like, and it was just as, it was just as the priest was saying the words of consecration when that hit me. And so I was like, whoa, whoa. And I didn't partake that day because I knew I wasn't supposed to all of a sudden, like the Holy Spirit actually was, it was like, bam, bam, like, wake up. You're here already. 
A very profound metanoia moment there, for sure, it sounds like. Hey. Yes, it, it was. It was. And I, and I kept it to myself because I didn't know how to, how to say it. And so I, I'm in the parking lot wait, at work the next day. I'm waiting for the bank to open. I worked at a bank at the time. And I'm texting my wife. And I'm like, I'm sorry for, I, I just said, I'm sorry. And she's like, for what? I'm like, for all the stuff I put you through with the church and everything. And she's like, no, you don't worry about it. it, it it's okay. I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm all in. Like I got it now. Like, I'm sorry. I'm going to go to confession on Saturday and all this. I'm, I'm so sorry. And then she, she called me. She's like, she's crying. She's like, I knew you had to find the answers on your own. You know, it just had to do it. Now, one of the issues I had too was with the assumption of Mary. Cause I couldn't, at least in my mind, I couldn't see it in, in scripture. Now, of course, as a Catholic, I could see, of course, we teach various mean how some scriptures teach, you know, there's more than one meeting. And of course we, like I was reading one of uh, Patrick Madrid's book and he was pointing to revelation 12 as, as one proof of the assumption. I was like, okay, I can see that now. But at the time I was like, this is, I was reading things like James White's work, um, R.C. Sproul, how they're saying it was an old Gnostic heresy that the church drummed up and all this mess. And I came across, a, it was in our Facebook feed, a video from Scott Hahn, and he's laying out the assumption of Mary. And every, every objection he had, every, everything that he said, every objection were the objections that I had. It was like he was talking to me. Now, what prompted that to go in my feed Obviously, I believe it's the Holy Spirit. I don't think it was an algorithm because I wasn't searching for any of that on Facebook or anything. But it was like, wow. Like, that was another one of those frying pan moments for me. And so I was all, I was all in. And a few months later, I volunteered to start teaching CCD, uh, Religious Education. And I started, slowly started getting more involved in... Um, in the, in the parish, I started with helping with RCIA. I started blogging, which is just a, a fun thing I love to do. Um, so I, that's the short story of my faith to the church. Um, a lot of, I, I say a lot of peaks and valleys. Um, but yeah, there's, there was those church fathers, man, they'll get you every time. If you read them honestly, they're going to get you. Um, and, and praise God, their their witness is so profound even today. I mean, you talk to a lot of converts, they'll say it's the church fathers, you know, they're researching what the church is. Uh, in the early church, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, uh, the hierarchy, this stuff's there. I may not be as profound as we have it today, but it's there. And you have to ask yourself a question. There comes a point where you have to be honest with yourself. Is Are you going to go with the church that Christ established? Or are you going to go your own way? And for me, and for a lot of others, I had to go with the church that Christ established. Just had to. That's such an excellent, so many great, great points you're making there, William. And it seems like, you know, when you engage with some dialogue with our Protestant, our separated Protestant brothers and sisters, there's that gap. There's this gap from between the time of the apostles to, you know, the 14, 1500s, it's like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, just a dark hole. It's a black hole. It's very hard for them to address what happened in between other than, you know, the church went into 
kind of like an apostasy sort of thing where there was just it kind of just disappeared almost but of course we know that that's not true starting right with the early church fathers which books did you read there william you mentioned um uh, saint justin martyr um which, which book was it that uh that you were reviewing there where you got that information especially about the early the early form of the mass which is which sounds obviously it's very similar to what we have today might have taken place a little bit differently back then but certainly the the idea the the concept and the belief that the body and blood of christ was truly present in the eucharist was there right and that's actually in his first apology that's what it's called it's his first apology and where i actually read that was in the an evangelical guide to church history an evangelical guide to the church fathers that's what the book was called and of course you know for eucharist they substituted lord's supper but even from the context, you can see that what was meant there. But yeah, that description of the mass was in there. And right away, I was just like, where is this church? This church has to be around today somewhere. <laughs> Stupid me. But um, yeah, that, that, that book. And ironically, that book in the, in, the, in the preface, this author said, I used to be involved in a large Southern Baptist uh, community, large Southern Baptist church, and I'm Episcopal now. So I'm like, well, that's weird. Why would you go to Episcopal? And he's like, it's be and he, he would say later on, it's because of the church fathers. But when you read, when you read through and say, okay, well, I see why he did that. Now just go the rest of the way. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking now. Well, sounds but a little bit like uh, John he, Henry Newman too, right, William? I mean, wasn't that, uh, that was his right. background and he went out to, to disprove church history, basically, that there was there's anything to do with Catholicism and he came out and became Catholic as well because he did that research, right? Right. Exactly it. And John Henry Newman. Oh, wow. What a great saint. Oh, I love John Henry. Absolutely. Newman. Actually, uh, yeah, have, yeah. our theological college here in Edmonton is actually uh, dedicated to him, William. So we have a, a real strong connection Fantastic. to him as well here. Yeah. To be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Isn't that uh, one of the, one of the outstanding quotes of all of our church, uh, let alone just from, St. Uh, John Henry Newman. That that gap there of, um, uh, well, the, the gap between you, I guess, kind of converting to the Catholic Church, and then there was that reversion there. Now, you went through the RCIA program, William, right? Was it more just right. like you said, it was kind of that, that personal, there's that curtain, that kind of that veil that was over your eyes a little bit, or or was it maybe a, a little bit of a lack of catechesis throughout that RCA process? And as you were journeying through the faith where it just never sunk in, or do you think that was more just a, a personal thing where you're just like, eh, you know, I'm doing this maybe for the, maybe not for the right reasons, whether you knew it at the time or not. It, it was definitely a personal thing. Um, when, when I look back, the catechesis was there and it, it was really one-on-one -on -one, um, because there was only two of us in the class. So, we were there. Um, we were there for about an hour and a half. I think it was Wednesday night. So I don't think it was the catechesis because we went through everything. It was more of the personal thing. I was I was doing it for I was doing it for my wife, and you have, like I said, you have to do it for yourself. You can't do it for someone else. Like I said, that's going to lead to other issues. So it was definitely that was that was me all the right. way. I take full responsibility oh, no, i was just just out of curiosity <laughs> but i you know that's uh, it's interesting how that all kind of comes together and, and i guess it's one of the challenges for us as fathers too you know at the end of the day we can pass along our faith which is our responsibility and our duty to our children 
yeah. help them out. Eventually, they've got to make that faith their own. They've got to make that decision to to walk with the Lord, and it's no different than anybody that's considering joining the Catholic Church. It's um, it's a big decision. It's a certainly a decision that you got to make freely and on your own. But if you don't have that, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, it, it just it might not click. But the good news for you is that it, it did eventually click, which was great. You know, I, I went to a, a Lutheran right. um, university. I was taking business there, but it was a Lutheran uh, university where there was a lot of Lutheran clergy and some of the professors were, were also Lutheran. And that was one of the things I noticed too, is that as you chat with a lot of different Lutherans, they have a lot of beliefs that are very similar to us. They hold the sanctity of life very closely to them. They hold the, the sanctity of marriage very close. But others, boy, uh, there's a there's a pretty big rift, and I'm not to pick on the Lutherans because I had a real enjoyed my time there and, and definitely enjoyed uh, some of our discussions, and it helped me in my faith as well because it challenged me to go and dig into my faith, and and I was coming to that point in my early twenties where I felt comfortable enough to ask them questions and challenge them as well, and it was it was healthy that way, but. How do we respond, I guess, to Protestants, William? There are separated brothers and sisters in Christ, and sometimes they, a lot of Protestants, they, they do know certain verses of the Bible very well, and they'll ask us sure. those questions. So, so how do we respond to, to those questions that uh, sometimes are difficult for us to understand? There's, there's a, the Bible is quite big. There's a lot of different theological points, philosophical points that are, in the, that, uh, are brought up. But, uh, yeah, how do, we, how do we answer these questions to Protestants? First and foremost, I would say if you don't if you don't know something, it's okay to say I don't know. That could be your best friend. Say I don't know, but I'm going to find out and I'm going to get back to you. And then do your do a little research and actually do get back with them. That's going to do a couple things. One, it's going to see that you're sincere and actually getting back to them. It's going to help build a relationship. But all the answers are out there, and like you said, they're good. Um, especially our Baptist friends, they memorize scripture and they can throw it at you real quick. And as Catholics, we know a lot more scripture than we think we do. We may not be able to say chapter and verse, but the whole mass is scripture. We know scripture. It's our book. So I would say, I would, I would challenge anyone out there, just dig in, do a little study. Uh, take some time in the morning, evening, some time on your lunch break. Carry, carry a Bible around. I used to carry one in my car when I was at work at the bank. So I'd go and get it at lunch and my coworkers would know that if that thing was open, it was, it was leave me alone time. But they also knew when I had it closed, they can come and ask me anything they wanted. And they would, they would come ask me questions about the faith. They would, they would ask things they didn't understand. And my Protestant friends do the same things today. I'll get Facebook messages all the time. What about, what about, what's the biblical significance for the Eucharist? Well, we can go a lot of places with that. John 6 specifically is a good one because Jesus specifically says, unless you eat the flesh, the son of man and drink my blood, there's no life in you. It's pretty plain. And then from there, you can have a conversation about whether he's talking metaphorically or not. So I would just say, do a little, don't be afraid to do a little digging. The church isn't hiding anything. You don't have to pay for anything that the church has. Um, if you, you can go on the Vatican's website, look up every encyclical for free. <laughs> the Bible's there too. The catechism is there. Don't be afraid to get your fingers dirty. Do a little research. Find out those common questions. You can just Google that. Common Protestant objections to Catholicism. 
Uh, the Eucharist will come up. Worship of Mary, which, by the way, no one worships. We do not worship Mary as Catholics. That was actually condemned by the Catholic Church, okay? All those are out there. Just get your fingers dirty. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. And lastly, don't be condescending. Build that rapport. It's, it's a serious question they have. It deserves a serious answer. So don't, just don't, don't kick it to the curb and say, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. Say, okay, I understand your question. And maybe it's something they've been thinking about for a while, and that's the only question that has to be answered for them to make that leap. And usually if they're asking so, questions already, William, there's, there's an openness. They're already thinking hearts, about right? it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look, uh, it's interesting you say just a simple Internet search. I mean, the church has never been more available to, to us faithful as it is today, and it's getting more and more available through the Internet, right? I mean, there's obviously a lot of bad things right. about the Internet, but if there's some redeemable things, it'd be even us having this conversation, William, where we can share our faith as individuals with each other and, uh, and help others along their, their journey to heaven. But also for Catholics, I mean, you think of all the saints, William, all the saints that have ever been canonized, uh, probably 99% of them never had access to the internet. But when they were looking for the answers, right. they went and dug them up in a library or, or, a, or an old book or something like that. We have all this right at, the, right at our fingertips. It's, it's really incredible. And it's exciting for me, I think. That's why I think it's such an exciting time to be a Catholic right now that we can share our faith and we have these answers just at our fingertips. And, and you're right, William, to your point, if we don't know, I mean, this is, if we ever look at the catechism, look at the Bible, these are two thick books. Uh, we don't have all the answers off the top of our heads, but, but, uh, but you're right. We do have those answers. And, and what does that mean to you too? I guess, William, you know, it's um, when you're in your efforts of evangelizing, we have so many great resources, but what does it mean to you that, you know, people come and ask you some questions and, and you know, you know, in your heart that I said, I might not know this, but I know I'm going to find this. And how big of a difference does that make when you're sharing your faith with other non-Catholics? It's huge because the last thing we want to do is give an answer that is totally off base, not true. Cause it's going to, one, we lose credibility. Um, and to that person who's asked us the question, whether we like it or not, we're representing the church, even though we may not have a caller on, they're asking us that question. So to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find the answer. And then to come back with a good answer, maybe with some sources to back it up, it's going to mean all the difference in the world. Like, I have a friend of mine who asked the question, it's like, what, what's this treasury of merit I hear about? So it's like, that's a great question. And I didn't want to answer it on a text message. That's not something you, that's not one of those text message answerable questions. You can't do it. So I sent him a few links. Like I went on, I went on Google, um, went on like Catholic answers, for example, it's a treasury of merit. And I'm like thousands of things popped up. I sent him a couple links. He was thankful for it. He's like, well, thank you very much. This is, this is very helpful for me. We don't have to write papers or anything like that. A lot of this stuff's there. The objections our Protestant friends have, they're the same objections they've had for, for hundreds of years. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no new objections out there, and they've all been dealt with. It's just a matter of doing the digging and pulling those up. It, it shows that we care. It shows that we love. And it's, it's a great evangelization tool. It's a work of mercy. I mean, informing the ignorant. Now, we're not saying ignorant as, is a bad thing. It's just someone who doesn't know. 
it's a work of mercy that we're doing to help inform them of the truths of the faith, something maybe they haven't been taught or been misinformed on. So we can help set it straight. Like, no, that's not the Catholic position. This is, here's some resources to show that. And I think that's very helpful. And like St. Paul says to do it with, with charity and also with joy too. And, uh, I know yeah. that's something I've struggled with in the past is you get fired up, right? You get defensive because if you love your faith and I've cradle Catholic, I grew up with the faith and I'm so blessed and thankful that I've had, um, uh, you know, parents that have taught me the way, taught me the ways of the church and, and, um, uh, you know, at least showed me where to find the answers in the Bible and through the catechism. But, you know, it's just like anything, you get a little bit fired up if something means a lot to you and you love something, but, um, sure. But yeah, that that charitable aspect that is that is just so important. You know, with with uh, with Protestants, I you know we do um, have the odd discussion here and there, and I but I do find that you know since the advent of the eighties, I guess William, where you know we've already mentioned a few of the very well known Catholic apologists, and they're such a gift to our church. You know, and and converts like yourself, you know, you have a different perspective on things as well, and uh, a lot of the objections that maybe you had before. Now that you've come into the church and you have the answers, it's it's so nice to to see that from from uh, you know uh, folks that used to be Protestants themselves that they could share that faith with us in the church. But the advent of apologists like Catholic Answers and of course EWTN, you talked about Scott Hahn already. You know these answers are so readily available that we can we can have this dialogue. But I know the concern that I have the most is just with um, all the fallen away Catholics, William. You know, there's been statistics that say for every um, individual that joins the Catholic Church before this this whole virus thing hit us, uh, we were we were losing six people for every one person that we bring right. in, and uh, that's a frightening statistic, William. Um, what are some of your thoughts of how we can reach out to our fallen away Catholic brothers and sisters, our our true baptized brothers and sisters that are in our family but are no longer with us right now? It is a it is a very sad statistic. It, it really is. It's it's horrible, and I pray every day that we can change it. And and this is something I've thought about a long time. And for anyone who's listened to my podcast and read the podcast description, I have that stat in there. I got that stat from Bishop Barron and from Brandon Vaught. I got that's those. De- that's a pretty decent source, I would think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> but what we could do, what we. Could, what can we do for a fallen away Catholics? They fall away for, I mean, who, who knows the reason it could have been the sex scandals, the sexual abuse scandals. And so we have to build trust back up with them. But a lot of the surveys that are out there, it just, they don't know the faith. Um, it was a lack of catechesis. They didn't know what the church taught on things. And so they weren't taught how important the mass was, whether it be from their parents or, or anything else. So that's where we got to start. We got to start with teaching the faith. We need to teach it. And how we go about that, I mean, it's, and I'll be honest, it's anyone's guess. There's so many ways we can do it. But I think if we start with the younger generation, and I think we're seeing now the younger generation, the generation in their 20s and 30s, a lot of them are coming back in droves. I mean, really, I don't know how it is in Canada, but at least in the United States, that seems to be the case because they're longing for something. They're searching for something. And where do they go? They go to the internet. 
and they find answers and they're coming back to the church. A lot of the people in the RCIA class at my parish right now, some are, some are older, but a majority of them are in the younger demographic. So they're coming back. But I think it's an issue of catechesis is maybe somewhere along the line, we, we just weren't teaching, we weren't teaching the truths of the faith or maybe we were watering it down a little bit. We weren't emphasizing that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus. And this is a very special gift that we're given only here. Or, yeah, so how to answer that question, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think the things that... But I, think it, I think it starts with catechesis, though. I think it really does. Sure, and I think that the ways of, you know, even through podcasts, you think, William, I mean, we both have a, a podcast, but uh, you think of the reach. I mean, there's so many Catholics that live in North America I'm sure we could find, you know, easily we could find hundreds of podcasts on the NFL. You know, we could find hundreds oh, of yeah. podcasts on cooking, on home decor. But, and there are, there are some really good Catholic uh, uh, podcasts and videos and, and things like that. But there really aren't that many. You think of per capita, uh, who we can reach out. And that seems to be where a lot of folks are going to to get information, uh, regardless mm-hmm. of what it is, whether it's your, your, your fantasy football team home decor or your faith and i think that that's it's definitely a start because you you know i think it's having conversations like this william i think it gets people engaged and interested that like man hey there's two other gentlemen here that are talking about their faith very openly and freely and and it doesn't seem like they have any doesn't look like they're miserable at all they look quite happy talking about it i know i love talking about my faith and i i love talking with guys like you william about it as well you know i i think of uh the, the scandals in the church and oh there's there's such a such a wound right but uh, what i when i talk to other people what i i coach sports and, and help out in, in minor sports with our our kids and when it does come up i say you know you think of all the there's been a lot of abuse scandals in sports in, in hockey and baseball i've read and you know and and those are sad as well but does that change your perspective on putting your children into youth sports no, the answer is no every time. It does not. But you know what? If you probably look at the statistics, there's more abuse issues in sports, sadly, than there are even in the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I think it's important, and it's not to downplay uh, what's happened in the Catholic Church, but I do think that the encouraging thing to me is I think that there is a lot of good steps that the church has made. And I think that if the world would just you know take a step back and say, yeah, maybe what the church is doing is right, because there's a lot of safeguards that the church has put in to prevent these things from happening right and, and i think those are all real positive signs so but yeah the answer to to bring catholics back well you know i always talk to, to our guests too about a, a rule of life and we've talked about the eucharist several times already in our conversation william but do you have that that rule in life of what you do every day or or what does this the sacraments mean the sacramental life of, of going to confession and receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord in the Eucharist worthily. What does that mean to you? It's all about my disposition. One thing I try to do every day, and there's some days I don't get, I, I don't do it or it slips my mind, is I try to pray, read scripture for at least 30 minutes a day. Quietly, no, no electronics around, okay? No TV on, just pray. Like, Lord, break something to mind, maybe what I'm doing wrong, something I could do better. I'll read scripture. And honestly, try to go to confession at least once a month, if not more often. And I know some in some areas of the world right now, it's very hard to go. Okay, it's 
it's it's a very strange time and as much as i'm tired of saying that it is but i try to go at least once a month remember what the lord did for us he died for you saint augustine said he would have died for you if you're the only person on earth again i'm paraphrasing but he loves you that much and he's giving us the gift of himself when we say amen we're saying yes lord i believe that this host is you we're partaking of it we're being changed from the inside out grace is being infused in us to make us more like jesus do we want to be more like jesus or are we trying to hold on to our own identity well if we're i think if we're thinking rationally we want to be more like christ people see that being more like christ will change the person next to us and then if they do it it's going to change the person next to them it's that ripple effect that's what the early church did i think it was illegal to go to church then you could have you could lose your job you could be be executed and honestly, a lot of people today are being executed for going to mass. They still go joyfully. And those are the areas of the world where the faith are, faith is exploding. It's that witness. So you may think that you don't have a gift or that you're insignificant, but you're important. Someone is watching. If you're claiming to be a Christian, you're claiming to be a Catholic, someone is watching how you're participating in these things. Could be your daughter, your son. If you take the faith seriously, they're going to take the faith seriously. Or, and there's a much better chance of them embracing the faith when they're older if you're taking it seriously, if you're saying it's important. If you're saying it's not important or we're going to go watch this movie instead of going to Mass, what message is that sending to the next generation? It's our, our job as parents to be the teachers of the faith. We're the, we're the first stop. The church is there to help us, but we and I'm sorry if I offend anyone with this, but it's, we should not be dropping our kids off at religious education, going to the mall and then picking up later on like nothing happened. Are we going to mass? We need to be doing it too. We need to be learning our faith constantly. Faith's been around for 2000 years. We don't know it all. We could still learn more um, every time. Our kids are going to see that. If we want to change the church, and I really believe this, it starts with not only us, but it starts with our children. And then from there, kids talk. <laughs> I mean, they really do. My son has invited people to mass. I think we start with the with our children, um, and we need to start with ourselves. Uh, are we doing some kind of religious practice, rosary, reading scripture? It's gonna it's gonna trickle into other parts of our life, and it leads into the whole sacramental worldview. Jesus gave us the sacraments to help us, uh, to help us on our journey to heaven. They're there, and. I don't think we're taking advantage of them enough and taking advantage may not be the right term, but are we going to confession? Um, I mean, even Pope Francis goes once a week. <laughs> Surely he's more holy than Absolutely. I am. I think too, William, just for us to, um, to help our, our fellow Catholics understand that there's a massive sin problem in this world, right? You know, the world tells yes. us there's, there's problems that you, any kind of ism or whatever these you know these social justice cause this is the big problem in the world well no sin is actually the problem in the world so the sooner that we recognize that and that we recognize that there when you live a life in, in mortal sin and out of a state of grace um that affects your life that affects your family that affects those around you that's why we call it the body of christ right william so and right. uh and, and a great point with the way we raise our kids and they're how they're always watching you know uh, i went to we went to mass every Sunday. 
Uh, you know, there's uh, Catholic schools I went to. I went to youth retreats, but I'd say 90% of the influence was from my mom and dad, just of what they did, you know, at, at home. They prayed with me. They taught me the faith through the catechism and, and those things. Those were, those were all, uh, even just the way they treated each other in marriage. Mm-hmm. Didn't have anything to do with God necessarily. Well, of course, marriage is all about God, but, you know, right. just the way they treated each other with gentleness and patience and, and with joy. Those were all examples of how they treated me too. Uh, all, all these great examples that uh, that we can pass along in our faith. So you've got a lot of great stuff, William, online, and uh, uh, maybe that's a time we can we can share some of that with our listeners. I always like to to put people in touch with other voices in the church, other other uh, men and women that are trying to make a difference and sharing their faith, and, and realize that this church is, is huge. It's way beyond your own house or your own parish. Uh, you know how cool is this, William? You're down in Arizona. I'm up in Alberta. Uh, but uh, the, there's, there's a brotherhood between us as we're chatting here that uh, amongst the baptized that's uh, hard to put into uh, to human into human terms or words, but it's definitely there. So maybe share a little bit about your apostolate, what you're working on. And uh, I know you're also an author too. I don't know if I pointed that out earlier or not, but uh, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. My, my website is williamhemsworth.com. And from there, you check out my podcast, Know the Faith, Defend the Faith. My YouTube channel is there. And like I said, I love, I love to write. I have a couple books out. Um, they're short ones. I'm working on a couple others right now, but I blog over at Pathios Catholic. My column is called The Pursuit of Holiness. And I also have a monthly column on Catholic Stand and Epic Pew. So I'm gonna, you, can, you can find a lot of my stuff in a, in a lot of places. And I'm, and I'm thank I'm thankful I'm thankful for those opportunities and I met so many great people but I also have a weekly radio show on deeper truth Catholics and it's on there it's their podcast and it's every Wednesday night it's live on blog talk radio deeper truth Catholics it's about an hour long and I've only been doing that about a month but I'm going through church history you know just like I did and I'm going I'm pointing out all these things that I was coming to realize when I was looking at the church. So we've covered St. Um, Ignatius of Antioch. We've covered, you know, did the church fathers teach Sola Scriptura, which is a big one. Um, we've done what we could learn from St. Polycarp. Those are just some things we've done. And always busy and thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for that because I don't, this is fun talking to people all over the world about the Catholic faith. It's a blast. Getting, I've met all kinds of great people like yourself and I just love it. So that's what I'm doing. Oh, that's so great. No, I really, really like your work a lot, William. And uh, I didn't know you had uh, this extra podcast that you're doing as well. So I'll have to check that out. And uh, yeah, they said it's, it's such a joy to, to beat other Catholics around the world. And that's one thing about that I love about the internet too, is that we can, we can get together so quickly and have these conversations and uh, uh, you know, the universal church, there's, there's something about it. And you talked about, you know, even that first, I guess, uh, moment when you were in the back in the military there and you saw the priest and, and saw mass for the first time. Uh, even those readings were, whether well, you didn't probably know it at the time, but those are the same readings that we have all over the world. And today what the, the yeah. Catholic readings are in, in Tucson, Arizona are the same here in Alberta. And it just, uh, it's one of those uh, real practical, but beautiful parts of our faith. That's, uh, makes me so excited to, to share it as well. Well, William, I want Absolutely. to thank you so much for your time. I'd love to, to have you on again to maybe zero in specifically on a area of apologetics, whether that's the early church fathers or, or something else. I think that's uh, outstanding and uh, probably would definitely help a lot of people, especially our, 
our fellow brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church know about their faith a little bit more. So thanks for everything that you're doing, and uh, and uh, God bless you, and I hope to, to catch up with you again soon sometime. God bless you, and thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for having me on. Thank you to William Hemsworth for joining us to talk about his conversion and then reversion to the faith and uh, some helpful tips and insights on how to share our faith with others. And I can't stress how important that is in our world and in our church today. We have so many of our brothers and sisters in Jesus, our Catholic brothers and sisters that have left the church because they just don't know the faith. And it's so important for us to know our faith and to love our faith and then to share it with them. And I think that's ultimately the answer to bring non-Catholics back, but especially our Catholic brothers and sisters that have left the sacraments and have left the church in droves to bring them back. So I encourage you to reach out to William on Facebook and Twitter. He's on both those platforms and also head to his website, williamhemsworth.com to find out information about the books that he's written and also on the outstanding podcast that he has, Know the Faith, Defend the Faith. And a reminder too that the Catholic Connect podcast, we are on Twitter and Facebook as well. Appreciate all the feedback and prayers from all our listeners. So please reach out to me anytime through those platforms. More great content coming just around the corner. Again, thanks for listening, everyone. You know, I was thinking about this scripture verse that was uh, recently in one of our Sunday Mass readings in the church. And it's uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's who we are. We are the chosen people of God. And we are being saved by the grace of God. So I encourage you this Lenten season especially to go to confession you gotta go at least three times a year anyway right every Advent every Lenten anytime you're in a state of mortal sin don't even spend a second of your life there thanks for listening everyone God bless we'll talk to you very soon